Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Foundation by Story Archives. I am your host, Mario Busto, alongside Zachary Newton. You're the host. Welcome back. We're back for our deep dive coverage of episode five of season two titled The Sighted and the Scene. And lots were sighted and lots were seen, Zach. We finally get a, a notion that the powers that Gale and Salvor have are not so unique to just them alone. Yeah, I uh, I mean, it seems to be the same sort of power that these other people have from, I guess, different planets. They're not all from uh, Synax. Not that I would, I would think at the very least. But yeah, I, I think, uh, I think they're, they're, they're able to hone their power quite a bit when there's nobody else around them to make all this noise. They seem to be very aware of their surroundings and I don't know if they can do the exact same things with their projection and all of that, but they do seem to be able to see pretty far into the future. Uh, for example, the the second foundation. It seems to me that there's a way to train these powers to a degree that's deeper than what Gale and Salvor currently know how to do. Yeah. They need a uh they need a Jedi master to, to help them uh hone this craft. Yeah, and it seems like they might be able to find that on this planet because the way that they're able to almost they shape shift really they control I don't know how they do it and I'm assuming assuming we'll get a deeper look on how mentalics work. Mm-hmm. Or how the telep telepathy works really. Um but I think a lot of things are into play. I mean, maybe that vision that Gale sees of Salvor being dead, maybe Salvor's not even dead in that vision. Because there's a moment in this episode where the soldier who impersonates Ga- uh, Hugo, mm-hmm. he does he says something like, mine's unlink or mine's unsink or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they just all collapse. Like, they look dead. Yeah. And it yeah. makes me wonder, I mean, if Gale and Salvor have this sort of power without any training, how, how much more powerful they're going to be with it. And and that flashback with the mule when he says, where are your uh, mentalic warriors, Gale, or something like that. I think that was the term for the warriors that she has. Mm-hmm. That means that there's something that has to occur on this planet where Gale becomes the leader of some sort of platoon here. Yeah, it sure seems that way. Um, you know, it, it could be that they... Or, or that Salvor was not really dead in that. Like maybe that was a projection as well. My my understanding of the way that works is they're really just they're they're kind of projecting an image into your brain. So they're like they're not physically shape shifting, but they're just changing what you perceive and what you see. Yeah. What did you think about the intro the the intro scene where we get this flashback of Raish and Harry, and there's this moment almost where, um. Harry, to me, what I the way I interpreted this before we meet mm-hmm. uh, Telem Bond at the end is that this is what it would have been like if Harry had survived being killed. So this would have been like the last thing he remembered before his moment of death. Mm. Perhaps the reason that she uses this as a way to, because what she's doing is she's trying to see what their motives are for the planet is my assumption or who they are as as people. Yeah. Perhaps she can't see any of his memories from after that death, that attempted uh, murder, right? Or that murder. I would imagine not, right? Like I feel like anything after that 
it's just blank, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't human. So I don't know that they could, I don't know that their power would still work on something non-human or, or I guess non-physical. If, if this is just like a digital being that that's or been carried around, I don't know that they could really manipulate anything there. And that is a general theme in this episode about memory and what lost memory feels like in the mind, right? Does it feel mm-hmm. like Dusk says, is it like a giant cotton ball that you know is there, but you can't see what's behind it? Or is it more like what Rue describes, which is she remembers grabbing Day's hand at Gossamer Court and she remembers being on a ship back to her planet with a bank account full of cash, you know? Mm-hmm. What what is what is it? You know, is that what's going on here? Because the goddess, let's just call her the goddess of this planet, right? Or the leader of Ignis, she doesn't know any more than we do as to how Harry got this cloned body that Kale or the Prime Radiant was able to give to him on Una's world. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna assume it's some clone or something of the sort. It makes the most sense to me at this point, given that he does bleed. Uh, yeah. But I, it's still a mystery to me, and I, you know, I, I kind of hope we get an answer so I can stop asking myself how he exists. Yeah, I think eventually they'll give us something, but maybe it'll just be a mystery for the show. And it is funny about the irony that the whole point of, not the whole point of cycle history, but very much the the desire is to end the genetic dynasty. That was one of the biggest factors of sl- of slowing down the age of darkness that Harry's trying to to keep concise and now here he is as a clone you know more than 140 years later right Mm -hmm. okay uh we're kind of well into the recap already at this point but before we continue to go any further just want to do a little bit of housekeeping for those listening to the show this week we want to thank you for tuning in we hope you're enjoying our coverage of foundation so far and we hope you're keeping up to date with all the other content of shows that we're covering out there we're doing a series on invasion season one as we prepare for the season two premiere on august 23rd we are trying to rush through season one so we got a couple more episodes there that we're going to combine to get through season one and we also just did a season one wrap-up of hijack on apple tv which was excellent Mm -hmm. in the last couple of episodes there with starring idris elba and although i thought that was a mini series like some of the others we've seen on apple tv it seems like they're gearing up for a season two and seeing how it performed on the charts i wouldn't be surprised if it gets greenlit for season two pretty quickly um that's just my guess and then in other news we have been ramping up our youtube content we have a channel full of videos where you can see our face you can also see our faces on spotify if you own spotify i believe apple podcast also allows it but that's not functioning at the moment with the current ios situation that's that's spotify's problem they need to get their stuff in order got it okay you will talk to spotify on the back end uh, and we have some links in the description if you want to subscribe to our newsletter and stay tuned with everything we've got going on in the network. And as always, if you want to reach out to us, send us an email at contact.soapbox.house. And if you want to show us some love, leave us a review. Five stars are always appreciated. All right, <laughs> let's get back to the show. I'm already well into this flashback here. What do you think of Raish and the things he says to Harry here? Is this him speaking? Is this Harry's mind judging himself? Is this the Harry's own internal struggle of one wondering whether he trusts and even cares about people? What what did you make of this and how much do you believe that Harry doesn't care about people? I think this is his own you know, just internal struggle with 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 what happened. Um 
now I don't know how much of this was really like prompted from uh, the, these people with, with these powers, you know, projecting this into his head, kind of using his memories against him. But I mean, I'm kind of in the boat that I don't really think Harry cares about people that much. I feel like he cares about his legacy. Um, and he, I mean, he is obsessed with the data, right? Like all of these little things here and there, he doesn't seem to care about what Gail has seen um, regarding Salvor in the future. He's let a lot of people down, let a lot of people die just to try and keep this plan on its original trajectory, which we're, we know we're very far off at this point. I'm starting to think that the Prime Radiant is like a wholly good um, being in some sense. Like it has an altruistic motive through all this. I've I've also sort of mentioned that perhaps Harry was guided towards psychohistory as not so much that he created it, but it was something that was already there, you know? Mm. Um, which is like, that's the truth about anything, right? That's It's more discovered. It, these things are discovered if they're if they're ultimate truths, right? But perhaps this being, right? Kale, the Prime Radiant, whatever you want to call her. The Selden on Terminus is a darker Selden. Definitely. Okay. There's, there's these, you know, yin and yang type of dynamic here between the two of them. And perhaps making him a physical body grounds him more. And I think the arc that we're going to see of his redemption, hopefully is that he learns to trust the people around him and learns to care about people and not just be about the plan being the most important thing. Because he did, according to Raish, and I'm going to take that bit as true, that Raish didn't have to die. Yeah. I don't, that that I don't was a choice, that that was Harry's choice because he didn't trust Raish enough. And he changed the plan accordingly. Yeah, and you know, I I don't think the the intent was clearly not for Raish to die, but you know, because Harry changed the plan, Raish did die as a result because things happened that weren't, I guess, according to the, to their plan. I, I guess he was originally supposed to go to um to Terminus with everybody would be my guess. Mm. Um, but because it was with Gale, I guess Harry decided to switch things up. Wanted him to go away and go to this, uh, you know, original location of the second foundation, Harry's home planet. Um, but yeah, that that kind of got all messed up. So if if uh, if he didn't, if Harry didn't need to die or have Rage kill himself, yeah, I don't think Rage would be dead. He'd still be with us today. So it is it is Harry's fault, in my opinion. Well, Rage insinuates that Harry's going to fail for this exact reason because he doesn't care about people. He doesn't care about. Um, just trusting anyone near him and it made me start to think that because the show is so it's deviated so much from canon it's deviated so much from what occurred in the books mm -hmm. is it so far-fetched to imagine a possibility where harry's plan fails in the show where it's maybe not successful mm. possibly i mean I, I, I don't i don't know if this huge deviation is something that happened in the books either but i mean it already kind of has failed or is failing at the very least so yeah they're I, not I on helicon yeah, they're, they're not, not on the helicon where that was his intended destination for the second foundation mm -hmm. yeah yeah what did you make of this whole thing i mean 
Harry mentions the fact when he's getting debriefed on how the, sec- the first foundation is doing, that they're selling psychohistory as magic, that he's not surprised. He says people like to kneel. You know, he's very, uh, he's very cynical towards anything religious. And he talks about the other Harry saying that they're not worshiping me, they're worshiping the other Selden. Mm-hmm. So he's disconnected from this other Selden as well, which makes me wonder at what point like, they, things have to um, rear their heads against each other, you know? Yeah. Are they thinking in the same way or are they thinking in different ways at this point? Yeah, I'm not quite sure. I, I mean, I know events that, you know, happen around you are going to change your personality a bit, but they originated from the same person. So, <sighs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how that plays out. I, I had made the comment before, I think in like a couple episodes ago, how yes, we have this light Harry, this dark Harry, but it's kind of interesting to see how far they keep deviating from each other. You have the the dark Harry who sees himself now as a god, and now we have the what, we, what we're deeming the, the light Harry who is now human, um, verified human, I guess, at this point. So I would imagine that, that they're going to, to come together at some point, though even though I, I like this Harry a little more right now, he seems a little more grounded. He seems to care a little bit more, He's also got this element about him where he he knows too like I feel like he just knows too much, right? Like he doesn't want he doesn't care um really about what's going on with, with the individuals and with the people. So I, I I don't know how far apart they're actually going to be in the end. I think you see for the first time in this episode that he actually cares about Salvor, right? Because he's when he's talking to Gail about the vision that Gail's trying to stop from happening in the future. I kind of agree with Harry's advice. There's no way that you can know what decision is going to possibly stop that destiny from occurring, mm-hmm. right? But he also cares about her as pretty much his granddaughter, if you think about it. Raish is his adopted son. This is like his granddaughter at this point because he pretty much raised Raish. Yeah. But um, they arrive on Ignis, the beggar crashes. I mean, this beggar has taken on some some beatings <laughs> in the in these episodes, but... They crash land on the planet after hearing these voices through space, which I found interesting. I mean, I know that she says it was a call as a refuge, mm-hmm. but it does make me wonder um, if there's not a bit more to that. And they land on the planet, which beautiful planet. It's like very, it's very exotic. I don't know where in the world this this location is, but um, it kind of reminds me of some of the, some spots I've seen like in Southeast Asia. Like where you have these tall rock cliffs with in between, like, and there's forest in between them. Um, pretty interesting. Yeah. Did you know Ignis was a former Imperial holding? Like, so everything you're seeing here predates the genetic dynasty. This is not, and nothing here was founded by the genetic dynasty. Interesting. So these powers, whatever, whatever it is what they're what they're experiencing here, because he mentions that this is, I think he said Emperor Kandar the Fifth's summer palace mm-hmm. so this was a summer type of place for a emperor who was before the cleons even existed which makes me wonder how the cleons got into power yeah i i don't i mean maybe it was just yeah, i don't know I, I have no idea i think it's interesting though that we used to have old emperors that would venture off to different planets like for for what a vacation or something well it's very based on the roman uh on the Roman Empire, right? And when I was in Jerusalem, I went up to, um, man, what is the Masada? And there was, uh, I think it was Herod's palace. He had like a summer palace there. Mm. 
and they were saying that they would send the slaves down the mountain to go get ice. Like they would bring Jeez. up ice to the the pal- I was like, damn, talk about like opulence. Like you're literally <laughs> sending someone to go get you ice cubes. Like and I'm talking about like a trek, man, to go get these ice cubes. Um which is pretty crazy. So they had these summer palaces that they would go to in, in different spots and whatnot. Um, speaking of palaces, perhaps the most interesting stuff going on in this episode. Well, it's kind of funny, right? The, it's pretty decent writing because you think about it, the drama is going on in two different palaces. Mm-hmm. You got the palace on Trantor and then you have an old palace on, on Ignis, right? Yeah. Um, but on Trantor, you have a lot of things going on, man. It's, um, they all kind of relate to each other. You have Sarath who's trying to get to the bottom of what happened to her family, although I think she's already like about at an 87% certainty mark here of, of believing that it's Day who killed her family. And we do find out that that's true from Demerzel later in the episode. She's still working with Markley. She's still working with Rue and her other, uh, I don't know what to call the guy who's with them, but kind of like her bodyguard. Mm-hmm. They're working on trying to get the memories of Day from the day of the assassination attempt, right? And yeah. it turns out that the bedroom memories are off limits. However, there are other memories that are accessible. So they go for a different route through the medics who treated Day on that day that he was day and day in the same sentence is kind of a, a confusing thing. But <laughs> um, they are able to get these memories. But the interesting thing is, is that Sarath and Day actually get engaged in this episode through all the fighting. I don't know if you caught that, but they actually do agree to engagement. While mm-hmm. one side is accusing the other of trying to kill them, kill them, and they both are guilty, right? Yeah, we're, pre- we're it's pretty much certain that Sarath paid for this assassination attempt, and it is certain that Day um, was behind her family being killed, and not just her family, but her former lover as well. Yeah, no, it definitely, it's definitely pretty clear with uh, with what Demerzel says, and just a little later that there's nothing. That could tie him back to this or you know something along those lines which again makes me think that demerzel is the one i guess deleting these memories these um th- this stored data it, it only makes sense to me at this point what was already a problematic little tryst going on between day and demerzel seems completely dysfunctional to the point where think about the level of experience that a demerzel has of being around for over ten thousand years over day who's yeah let's say day conservatively speaking here he's probably in his late 30s okay Mm -hmm. mid to late 30s she is here and if she actually wants to go rogue if she actually has gone rogue with her own agenda to bring down the empire she would have every sort of uh, tool at her disposal right she's using her body to seduce day to a point where She's pretty much commissioning him to get to get the deed done with Sarath, right? Yeah. Even giving him a little cheesy fist bump, you know, saying, <laughs> think about me. Think you of know, me. That, yeah. Think of me. That was the, the corniest thing in the entire episode. It was. And we found out a, a bunch of other things about her recent, the way she's been recently acting. We find out that for Dusk, she pretty much did all the dirty work. She pacified the entire empire for him, as, as he was saying. Mm-hmm. So... It makes me wonder if she's doing these things, if she's going out of line here with getting uh, involving herself in a relationship with Day, which to me, she's supposed to be hard-coded to stop anything from occurring that could bring down the dynasty, right? Yeah. 
is it that far-fetched that she's also been manipulating memories and uh, and deleting uh, cataphiles from from former emperors? Or maybe this was a decision that happened prior to Cleon the First dying, which is something that I hope we get more insight into. But mm-hmm. you can clearly see Dusk when they're doing that memory, when they're interfacing with Cleon the First's memory. Yeah. That he's onto him. The way he's saying that's not for anything you need to worry about. It sounds like if you've ever if you've ever talked to a customer service rep and mm-hmm. you're asking it a question that it's not programmed to be able to answer, it says, please reach to the directory. Or if you'd like to speak to a customer representative, or it pushes you to the forum type mm-hmm. of thing. It felt like that's what Cleon the first was doing. It was like that doesn't concern you. It felt like a very blank answer rather than just saying yes or no. Is Day taking unilateral power as the sole person who controls memory altering? Mm-hmm. Is that part of your vision or not? That's a pretty clear question. If that's what the purpose of that tool is for, and kind of a red flag if it can't answer it. Yeah, absolutely. Makes me wonder if uh, Demerzel's always been the one in charge since the first Cleon, which I could see. Yeah, same. I mean, there's got to be a reason for the robot rebellion, but. I'm not going to assume that she's been nefarious this entire time because as we've said throughout this entire season, this Demerzel and season one Demerzel are it's not different. the same person. And I, I, I personally feel like the, the switch happened um, when she learned that the bloodline was, I guess, corrupted. You think? Um, I think that was the fall of the dynasty potentially, right? Like at that moment, she ends up killing... Or just before she finds out that the whole has been corrupted, she kills Dawn, right? And that was before, like, that was when she just thought he was the only one that was corrupted. Then she learns, like, oh, okay, well, I guess everybody here is also corrupted. What's what's to, I guess, stop her from doing what she wants at that point or after that point? Hmm. I wonder what the repercussions are going to be for it becoming public information that Demerzel is a robot and that she's the number one advisor to the king, so to speak. Yeah. Because now that's that's newfound information for Sarath and her little party, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure what the practical implications could be or what kind of consequences that could have if she uses that as a political weapon against the Empire. Because now she's engaged today. So Demerzel is a threat to her as well. Um. It does make me wonder, though, how that could come to uh, bear its head and uh, or rear its head, mm-hmm. and whether the leverage that Dusk is using, because now he knows that based on the memory records, all Cleons have about 80 something cataphiles, while yeah. Cleon the First has 200 and something. What leverage does he need? Is he looking for leverage against the wrong person? Is he trying to get leverage on Day? Because he's probably under the assumption right now that Day is the one who's doing this mm-hmm. and not Demerzel, because at this point, to question Demerzel is to question, you know, 10,000. Yeah. I mean, it's to question the original. Well, you know, it's weird though. There's 18 Cleons, right? Mm-hmm. Are we to assume that the cataphiles are years? So if it says 80 something cataphiles, mm. that would be 80 something years, right? Possibly. Potentially. Or maybe just 80 something significant events over a, a, a lifespan. If Cleon the First has 200 and something, where am I going with this train of thought? What I'm trying to say is we know that Demerzel is over 10,000 years old, according to what she said on 
said to Zephyr Halima mm-hmm. that she attempted the spiral like 11,000 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So that means she's older than Cleon the first. Yeah. I just wonder what her roots are. She's the last living robot. There's got to be some. The last living one that we know of. We have a listener, uh, Ryan, <laughs> out there who has been insinuating that Rue is a robot this entire time. And his, his theory is on, is, on, um, is on fumes at this point. He, even, <laughs> he, he wrote back here. Let me see if I can pull it up. I have... The robot. <laughs> just, yeah, his subject line was just, Rubot dreams shattered. <laughs> well, never mind. All my Rubot predictions look to be gone. She may still be in cahoots with Empire, though, and conspired to kill Sarah's family. Yeah, probably not, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> See, he's out for Rue. I mean, I wonder if Rue's connection with Dusk is anything really sincere here or if it's still self-serving. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It feels self-serving to me in this episode. I don't, I mean, she she goes there, I think, to get information, which she brings back to Sarath about, you know, all of these recordings and, and whatnot. So, it feels pretty self-serving to me. Call me a sucker, but I thought they have a genuine connection. Um, based even going back to the Gossamer Court, because she, she's very seductive in the way that she's withholding her attention, you mm-hmm. know? And it's in a way that draws the emperor. I mean, this is like, this is the kind of guy who has, it's like that whole old saying, what do you get the guy who gets, who know, who has everything, you know? Yeah. Or who can buy themselves anything. So he's looking, he's attracted to the one person on the court who doesn't seem to be interested in him. Mm-hmm. And she seems to know how to play that card very well. But at this point in her life, she has everything she needs politically. Um, I don't know what more she could gain here. I also don't know whether she's sincere in her care for Sarah. So, mark her in the list of mysteries with Demerzel of what her exact motives are. Because for Sarah, it seems that she just wants vindication for her family. Yeah. For Day, it seems that he knows that the, the Cleonic dynasty is a dying concept and he wants to branch off from that. Now, how manipulated that is by Demerzel, we don't know. Dusk and Don, Don seems kind of like he's just floating through life. But Dusk wants his legacy to be cemented, which seems to be a new arc that's occurring here, right? Mm-hmm. He wants, he cares about how he's remembered, not what he's remembered for or something like that. So he has a chance here really to make things right. And I do wonder if Demerzel's working against them all, if they're not best served to working with each other, where it's, it becomes this situation where it's Demerzel versus everybody, Demerzel versus the field. Yeah. I feel like. I mean, that that would be the unifying thing, right? Like that, I feel like, would bring everybody together, at least the brothers together. Because right now, they're kind of pitted against each other, at least Dusk and Dawn against Day. So, it, it would be interesting to kind of see what happens there. Um, and I agree. I, I feel like Sarah's plan right now is just very nearsighted, right? Like, I, I don't think she's she's playing the long yeah. game. She's, she's not just, planning like two no. steps or three steps ahead. Yeah. No. And that's that's what Demerzel and Day and everybody else does. 
I, I do want Dave feels like a child in this episode, especially when he's going to be with Sarah. Yes, I, it was felt very childish um, and well, just he, like immature. Yeah. Like he seems like this super experienced guy, and then oh, it's a, it's sleep a facade. With somebody, and he's yeah, it's a facade. I, I, he tries to at one point kind of lead Sarah. Right? He's like, it's done like this. You want to. When you're having sex, you want to be properly aligned, you know, uh-huh. or, or reproductive. It's like very, like, it's so, um, it's meant to be. I think it's meant to feel uh, clunky and like awkward, right? Oh, 100%. 100%. And then she, she's laughing at him because he's pretty much impotent. That's what I got from that scene, mm-hmm. that he can't get it up. Yep. So, it seems to be that he's nervous about the situation. That's why Demerzel was trying to comfort him. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if this is a borderline, like Demerzel has uh, abused this dude, like, like from that's the vibe I'm getting from the whole thing personally because all the other emperors that we've seen have gone to the Gosham Accord and hooked up with like a courtesan, right? Mm-hmm. They pick they pick up some chick from the Gosham Accord and they come back, right? Yeah. This is we haven't seen this day with any other any other woman. We've no. only seen him with Demerzel. So part of me wonders like if this is something where it's 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 Demerzel really going off script here, which by the way is, has pissed off a good number of people. This is really angry uh, YouTuber out there. Uh, he is furious about this. Or I won't call him generally angry, but he hates the series. Like he says, "There's no sex in the Foundation," and Demerzel, one of the most revered characters in sci-fi, is being used for sex here. So uh, he, ha- I mean, this guy was like livid. I think I sent you the video. It was like so angry, <laughs> and um, but I don't think she's being used for anything. If anything, I think she's the one. Uh, pulling the strings in this palace at this point. I agree. I uh, that that that's definitely the boat that I'm in. I, I think she's the one really in charge. Just think about it. The the scene that she has with dusk. It's in the darkness, right? And there's like this moonlight on her face, mm-hmm. and there's this glimmer of in her eye, almost. You know, where it seems she seems almost like somebody giddy, seeing her plans coming to fruition. Right? Yeah. She, yeah. Absolutely. It's like it's lying to his face, you know, like. And I have an unalterable memory, right? So you have Cleon the first, all these Cleons who have alterable memories, memories, mm-hmm. and you have an advisor who has an unalterable memory. There's a superiority complex in a way there, or just a reality, really, where she says, "My memory is unalterable. Yours can be altered. Your middle brother has complete power to alter your memories at any at his whim, at his own discretion." Mm-hmm. And Dusk is like. Even if you have an unalterable memory, if my memory had been altered, I wouldn't know what question to ask, which is like this weird paradox that like sends you to a dark place if you start to think about your, <laughs> yourself and your own memories. But um, it is a creepy thing. Like if you put yourself in, in their shoes, imagine feeling like you don't know if your memories have been altered, you know? Yeah. It's a creepy uh, scenario. It is. You never know what you don't know. Yeah, it's pretty freaky. Mm-hmm. Let's get to Ignis. After we are brokenhearted to find out that Hugo is in fact not on this planet. Although the reason, the reasoning that he gives could make a lot of sense. Like I hope that Hugo is alive by that same reasoning. (laughs) But it's not something that, um, what was I going to say? That he's alive by that same reasoning, that explanation he gave about being synced to the beggar. Mm Mm-hmm. And that he's not dead. That's pretty much what I want to get at. 
I mean, look, the explanation, I, I, I could buy it, but it just, if it would feel the same to me as if Raish was still alive at this point. Dude, right? I, gen- like, I generally have a rule on television shows that if I don't see a body, I don't believe the death, you know? So, I even yeah. sort of have hope for Raish. As as crazy as that sounds, and someone's gonna be like, "This show's not a mystery, man." You know, it's not not everything's a theory. Not everything has to be like, "All right, shut the hell up." Like, it's <laughs> if you haven't seen a body, I just dude, I'm watching Outer Banks. Nobody dies in that show. No, no one dies. Someone could be obliterated by like literally blow up next to an oil barrel, and if you don't see the body, they're not dead. Like they may be coming back. You can see their literal skeletal skull on the sand. Okay, and they could bounce back in two seasons. So, <laughs> I love that you're still watching that show. I told you you'd be you'd be yelling at the TV. Oh, every episode. dude, we, we've got a Kooks and Pogues uh, retrospective episode coming soon. Uh, we got to <laughs> do a Kooks and Pogues Outer Banks um, episode for the channel for sure, for sure. I didn't even know it was about a treasure hunt. I thought the whole show was about just rich kids being bratty. That's what I thought it was, which no. is kind of part <laughs> of the show. It's part of the show, but it's definitely not the core of the show. No, the main characters aren't even rich. Anyways, except for Kiara. Um, anyways, and Sarah. Yeah, so half of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. But, you know, but they don't really act like it. They're, they're pogues. You know, P4L, yeah, they, man. They definitely want to be. That's right. P4L. You should etch P4L on your wall back there. That, that would look so horrible. Yeah, it would. But <laughs> All right. Uh, to the scene, we have it on the screen right now with Demerzel and Dusk. I know we're just going back here, but I got to say, the person who stole the episode from me was actually Dusk, the actor mm. who plays uh, Terrence Mann. Because he's playing himself and then he plays Cleon the first. The guy has range, you know? Mm-hmm. And just kudos to all of these guys who play, and Demerzel as well, who are playing these characters who are different people but the same face over the years, right? Because at this point, we're seeing about three or four renditions of the same character, and they're all different. Mm-hmm. And Demerzel's perhaps the most interesting of, of the bunch because she's still as robotic as season one, but there's just these little subtle differences that are just masterful bits of acting that you just know something is wrong with this character, mm-hmm. like deeply wrong. And who's going to question the sentient robot who's been around since the beginning, you know? It's just like a very difficult thing to to uh to go up against, especially when she's like the mother figure. Yeah, it really is. And I I mean I don't feel like we're getting much at all of that comforting Demerzel that we saw in season 1. The only time that we kind of see her comforting anybody is brother Day and it it feels like it's to control his thoughts or to to you know nudge him in a certain direction and that's really it. Yeah. I am interested to see if this Dusk is able to redeem any sort of... Like, I, I do wonder if there's going to be any redeeming arc for the Cleons, you know, because they didn't choose this destiny. Although, they're not very... It's, it's not easy to empathize with them when you have Day making comments like, he wanted the Rings of Trantor to be a shackle, mm-hmm. to look like a shackle on the planet. Like, that's about as ugly of a metaphor as one can picture for revolving around your planet. He wants it to be a constant reminder that the only reason people are alive is because he wills it so. Yeah. Like that is a pretty dark uh, vision for your planet. It is dark. You just want to rule with an iron fist. That's it. What do you think happens here 
before we round out this episode or our recap of this episode, what do you think happens with this footage and the knowledge of this footage? Because as we lean it, as we head to see to episode six, we've got a few things going on here. We have Dusk trying to get down to the bottom of this memory issue, right? Mm-hmm. You have Sarath and her crew who have now found out that Demerzel's a robot. Day is pretty much in the same place, uh, engaged to a woman who is trying to get down to the bottom of what this guy did to her family, and also now the threat of this robot. Mm-hmm. You have Hober heading to an unnamed planet, uh, which I do not believe is going to be Ignis, based off of what we saw. And we have Bel Rios still investigating the Foundation. I could possibly see Bel Rios near Terminus by next episode, if I had to guess, because we only got... F- Five episodes left? Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Five episodes left. We're at the midway point. And things are starting to move. We haven't seen any war yet. We haven't seen any battles. No. Necessarily. But the things in the palace are, be- are getting to an, uh, a point of no return pretty soon here. Where mm-hmm. the cat's going to be out of the bag pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, this is very much... um. All right, Game of Thrones moment. It was inevitable. Zach, every, every episode. Go ahead. Do you care about spoilers from Game of Thrones? I don't because by the time I get to the spoiler, I won't remember what it was. Oh, you'll definitely remember. Season one very much revolves around, if you haven't watched Game of Thrones, exit the room right now. You got three seconds and then you can come back in, in a few minutes. Season one very much revolves around a secret. I said this from the from the beginning of this season that it felt like they were taking a, a Game of Thronesy direction. I think they've even hired a director who has directed several Game of Thrones episodes. Mm-hmm. I think, if I'm not mistaken, the director of this episode. If you can look that up real quick on IMDb, Alex, yeah, Alex Graves. Yes, that's Alex correct. Graves. Has he he's done Game of Thrones before? Yes. Okay, so season one revolves around a secret, really, a secret that can't get out, and it's that the brother and sister in the Lannister family, the Queen. Right, the queen is banging her brother. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, what happens be, be because the queen is uh, having a relationship with her brother? They push the king, the Lord of the North. Okay, they push the son who witnessed it, who's a very adventurous kid. He's he climbs everything. He witnessed them in the act, but he didn't really understand what he saw. But just mm-hmm. if he relayed that information to anybody else, it might have been too suspicious. So. He's pushed off and gets paralyzed, but he doesn't die. And so the secret is trying to be covered up Mm -hmm. because it could bring down the entire family, right? Because the relationship between the king and the queen is not very good as it is. And they found out about several assassination attempts. But it's this secret that leads pretty much the whole backbone of the plot of season one that kicks off the Game of Thrones is all about a secret that cannot get out. And it's something like this. And the foundation reminds me a little bit of that because imagining like this forbidden being, a robot, right? A live mm-hmm. robot being having sex with the emperor, right? Because she's in the bedroom. Why else would she be in the bedroom? Mm-hmm. Only makes sense that that would be something that could bring down the entire empire. It's, it's one of those things that's like a forbidden piece of knowledge to get out there. It's like ridiculously taboo in this world of foundation. So it's kind of like the same situation with um, with foundation. You got this this woman who's the, like the lord of her planet coming on over here for an alliance in the main capital. And in the main capital, everything's corrupt. And she's trying to get down to the bottom of what happened to her family and what happened to 
uh, all these different things. And that's exactly what Ned Stark goes to do in, in season one of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. And we won't talk about anything else that occurs, <laughs> but that that kicks off all the crap that happens in, in, in that show, you know? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Let's get to this villainous being on Ignis, Telem Bond. How many people are on this planet? Because it's such a weird dynamic, right? Like, we have three prisoners, okay? We're going to put no guards, and then we're going to lure them to this place with voices where I'm going to be as a little girl, uh, as this fake goddess. Like, are all these people there like, oh my gosh, she's doing this again. <laughs> like, why do we have to do this? They're all dressed in white. First negative sign. <laughs> you, if you walk into a place and everyone's dressed in white, leave. Okay? Yeah. There's some cult thing going on here. More than likely, eight times out of ten, it's a cult thing. If you're lucky, it's a family reunion of sorts and everyone's dressed in white for some reason, but most of the time, it's some sort of cult thing. In this scenario, it's most certainly a cult thing. And she has the desire to destroy the Prime Radiant, right? Mm-hmm. She's really, all of this is just about sussing out the uh, the motives of Harry, Gale, and Salvor, and it seems that She's pretty much has a grasp, a grip on Gale and Salvor, but she doesn't quite know where Harry lands, right? Yeah. I don't know because I don't trust this woman's face. Um, she just doesn't look like a she doesn't look like a pure motived individual. And she even says that she was worshipped as a god as a child, right? Mm-hmm. So she says never worship she has like it was really haunting like never worship a child. It's not good for them. Yeah. You know, which makes me wonder like what effect did it have on you? Because you're in charge of this planet and you're doing stuff that like a cult leader would do, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, makes me wonder if her motives are, are, are pure or not and whether this is about protecting her planet, protecting her power, or is it about protecting the thing that matters, which is the people there and the refuge. Mm. What are your thoughts on her and where do you think this goes? Because we lead into the next episode with, I'm assuming... We're not going to see Harry and, and this trio leave this planet for the rest of the season, if I had to guess. Yeah, I don't think so. She does not give me a comforting feeling. I, I feel like I'm watching, uh, you know, one of the uh, the leaders from like The Walking Dead, where you, you show up yeah. to this town, right? Um, uh, They're not the governor. Here. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I feel like she's she's got a great grip on everybody here. They're all following her. And I think she's going to be the single person that's going to stand in Gail, Salvor and Harry's way. They would need to get rid of her to, to be able to start to build the foundation here. I, I don't think everybody else is. I think they're just following her. I think, I, I, I think everything that happens is, is purely her idea. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And that rounds out the episodes. They do find out about the existence of the Prime Radiant and we're left with just this open-ended ending there where I do hope that we get a continuation of these storylines next episode, but it does feel like we're going to go back to Belrios and Hober in the next episode. I'd imagine. Um, I didn't watch uh, a preview for the for the next episode. I don't even know if they gave one. I didn't see it. Yeah, me neither. So it'll be interesting to see what goes on from here. Let's get into some categories, unless you got anything else, any other final closing thoughts you want to share there? Uh, I'm just wondering how on earth you kill these robots, because, I mean, <laughs> if you get your head cut off and you can still survive, 
Man, a, a, a war against robots that just don't die sounds like an interesting, interesting thing to watch. I don't see how she could put herself back together if she has no arms. No arms, no hands. Like, just put her in a box. Maybe. Maybe gonna, maybe your arm could, like, crawl its way over to you and, and help you out. You're going to lose somebody at some point. You know what I mean? You're going to mm-hmm. have to send, like, 20 people at her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible to hit her, right? She got her head half chopped off. Yeah, that's true. So, the thing Something is, happens. the thing is, is that she has this, these weird devices that can re, it like, reforms her brain. Exactly. These, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyways. Favorite character of the episode. In terms of just, I guess, scene stealing and, and doing well, I thought the, the two characters that really... No, the the one was Dusk, in my opinion. I thought Rue was great, too. If I had to say, like, a, I have three in my mind that stick out to me in this episode. Okay. Uh, the one that I would probably go with... I'll go with, uh, with Day. Just, just I, a zag. It was funny. Yeah, I'm on a zag. I did love his line at the end. I didn't catch... I, I didn't write it down, but it was like, you know, we argued, we, uh, you know... We're engaged. Yeah, I thought that was a great uh, line. Yeah. That was a good one. I thought Harry was the most likable he's ever been in this episode, by the way. I agree. The, so the Harry that we're seeing right now really reminds me of the Harry that we see at the beginning of season one. That's what he felt like to me. Before we, we got this like view of, I guess, his dark side and, and, and his, his motives. Like He yeah. kind of seemed to care a little bit about Gail. I think you're right with that. It just It felt like the... Like the original Harry that we saw. I think he's even even more likable too. Because he's at a point where he doesn't quite understand where his plan is going. So, he's he's become the most malleable, the most flexible, the most open-minded to where things could go here, right? Mm-hmm. And we also know that there's there's not much, there's nothing left on the plan at this point. You know, there's not like a hidden step here at the moment. I mean, he may have certain hidden steps, but... The foundation, the second foundation has to take root before those things can occur. So, um, definitely the most likable as I've been probably the number one Harry hater in the <laughs> in the podcast. Besides Jared Harris, I mean, I think that he's such a necessary character, you know? It's just one mm-hmm. of those things where you can argue back and forth whether everything that's gone wrong isn't actually because of Harry's fault. And I still want to know if he's behind the Starbridge attack. I still want to know if he was behind that terror attack. I don't I don't know that he was. I, I feel like that was just uh the Thespans and, and Anacreon. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. Nope. Too convenient, man. The day of his trial. Man. Come on, mm. fool me once. We'll never know. Uh favorite scene. I guess we'll never know. Uh favorite scene. Hmm. Hmm, let me think about this. Do you have one off the top of your head first? I have a couple. I want, I want to round it out, but I, I want you to go first. It's it's tough. I, I did like a bit in here. I thought the... I thought day getting with Sarath was kind of funny. It was interesting. It was an interesting scene. It was definitely an interesting scene. It's up there with my favorites in this episode, but... I might go with, man, I think Dusk just stole the show in this episode. I thought it was, his conversations with Don were very interesting to me in this episode. 
Mm-hmm. They were very interesting to me. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, I, I'm not going to pick a particular one. I'm just going to pick like the whole sequence of going to Cleon the first. That's the part that I like the most. Yeah. Yeah. They went to Cleon the first and then when they go to the memory bank and they see the thing. I thought those were interesting moments. Okay. How about favorite line of the episode? I have, I have two that I liked that just stood out to me. You go first. I think I have a couple written down here. So the one that I, I, I liked, I mean, they never worship a child. It's not good for them. The other one that I liked was, and I'm not going to get this word for word, but it's something to the effect of she accused me of killing your family. I accuse her of trying to assassinate me, but what are you going to do? We're engaged. That's my, that's yeah. my favorite line of the episode. Uh, Day always gets the best lines. It's just a, a fact of the show. I will say this: we glossed over something that we almost certainly will get an email about. Mm -hmm. uh, Raisha's line: "He goes, I was your son, and you let me die. Mm. Now, why am I surprised? We both know it wasn't the first time. What does he mean by that? And what does he mean by it wasn't the first time? Did Harry have another son? Did he have another child that he killed? You know, what is it that he's alluding to here? Right? Because we know." I think Harry wants to be understood too, because when he talks to Tell him Bond at the end, he says, how much of my Merc did you make sense of? She says, enough. Enough. Mm. I don't think that, I don't think she's a nefarious individual yet. Although, okay. you never know with these cult leaders, you know? Yeah. You never know. That's Very charismatic. Sure. Very charismatic. Yeah. There's still a lot of Harry that we don't know, a lot from his past. So, I'm sure, sure we'll, we'll see a little more of that unveiled at some point all right any more categories for today that is all i have for today all right then that's all we have for this deep dive episode thank you all for tuning in we hope you are enjoying our foundation season two coverage and be on the lookout for more coverage on invasion season one as we gear up for season two of that as always leave us a review we love seeing them you don't have to write anything or if you do we read them all the time so thank you and as always if you want to contact us Email us at contact.soapbox.house. And for the rest of the outro, to Zachary. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Foundation by Story Archives. You can find this podcast anywhere you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can find us on YouTube at Soapbox Podcast Network, where you'll find different playlists for the different shows that we've been covering. You can visit a website at soapbox.house, email us at contact.soapbox.house, and we do have a couple of links in the description below one to sign up for our quarterly newsletter and one to fill out a survey that we currently have open perfect all right y'all until next time you want to hit him with that you want to hit him with it please respect and enjoy the peace <laughs>